It is Wednesday, March 30th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff, and back with me for the first time in a while is a familiar face. It's uh, Rankings Ace Jared Smola. How you doing, buddy? Good. Yeah, you've had some awesome guests on in the past month or so. I feel a little bit like I've I've been getting cheated on, but uh, you know, glad glad to be glad to be back on here with you. Don't worry, I'd still smack any presenter that was saying anything about your hair. So <laughs> no no loss of feelings here. Of course, tomorrow is the deadline for roster cutdowns in FFPC Dynasty Leagues. And obviously, we're in the thick of Dynasty season anyway, with rookie drafts coming, the NFL draft coming, you know, people trying to get their trades in now before everything changes in April. So, Jared, it's the perfect time for us to roll out some advancements in our own dynasty tools and dynasty coverage. I think the first thing that people will notice, and if you're on if you're on the Draft Sharks email list, you heard about this stuff because we told you about it via email. And if you're not, get on the Draft Sharks email list so you do find out about this stuff and you find out uh, news bites and everything, what the content is that we're rolling out throughout the summer. But I think the first thing that people will notice is a more robust format for our dynasty rankings. We've worked some automation into the process to make it a little easier to assess what we can actually expect from players year to year. Cause I mean, to this point, Jared, it's, it's like, you know, we know how we feel about the guy in general, but it's just kind of going on that feeling. What do I feel like he's going to do three years from now? Now it's a little bit more like, well, here's what our numbers actually indicate. We can kind of expect. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we have dynasty projections now. That's the the big change. And I think, you know, we we've always or for as long as I've been with Draft Sharks been big on, you know, projections fueled rankings. You know, this entire game we play is based on stats and numbers. So, you know, that needs to be a big part of your process. It never was for us with Dynasty. It is now. So yeah, we you know, we spent a bunch of time this offseason looking at aging curves by position. You know, one guy's peak, one guy's start to decline, how much they decline and when. Um, then just average career lengths, you know, how long we can expect these guys to be in the league producing for our fantasy team. So we um, we spend a lot of time digging into that. And then we, we were basically taking our current year projections, which are now up on the site as well for 2022, and applying those aging curves, applying those average career lengths to come up with three, five, and 10-year projections. And we take all that data and kind of spit out one dynasty projection, you know, the DMVP dynasty value for every single player. And and the, the thing that that allows us to do is now use our draft war room for a dynasty. So you can now plug your dynasty rules into our draft war room, get customized dynasty rankings for your dynasty league and use that war room for your startup drafts or for your uh, rookie drafts coming up, you know, later, later this summer. Yeah. And of course we're not talking about the same aging curve for quarterbacks as we have for running backs, because those two positions don't tend to age in the same way. So those are, are specified for the position. And, and yeah, it, it's just, you know, that and the war room, it, it's the kind of thing that you always want to do, but I, I'm like, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> how are we going to do this? People would ask, you know, why can't we have an MVP board for dynasty drafts? And I'm like, I just don't know how. Fortunately, <laughs> we have some smart programmers working with us now that can, you know, take right. these projections that we do. We're not, you know, passing that off to uh, an outsourced spot, but take that and actually build it into the process that, that puts some reality into these feelings. I think, you know, one of the nice things about dynasty versus redraft is that there is still some more feeling to it. It's not totally math, but 
you gotta give, you gotta inject some reality into your feelings on players. If you really want to optimize what you're doing. Yeah. And, and not to get too deep into our process, but we do have the ability to kind of massage the aging curve for each player and, you know, adjust. A, I'm not sure that's the best word choice right now. Jared. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry. Um, and, and, you know, adjust how long we expect that player to be in the league. So it's not, just you know spinning out a number we're going with that you know we do, do still have the ability to to make adjustments as we see fit but it's been interesting just seeing what results were spit out when we first ran this you know taking our 2022 projections applying those aging curves you know based on how many years the player has been in the league just kind of seeing what, what it spit out I, it made me think more about these players and, and you know how we should be valuing them in dynasty Mm-hmm. And don't worry, we are licensed projection therapists, so nobody uh, here that shouldn't be. So without getting further into that process, you can go check it out and see what you want to see and ask us questions that you might have questions about. But we're going to get into talking about some of these players, which is really, I, I think, what we're all looking for. The whole point of the process is to let us know what players we want to get, what players we want to get rid of, and just how to manage our dynasty team. So we'll go position by position today. We'll start at quarterback because obviously those guys are most important. Jared, who are some or even just one risers at QB for you in Dynasty? And it doesn't have to be somebody that's specifically rising for you, but somebody that's a, a riser in general at the position. For me, it's Russell Wilson, who I was sort of starting to be out on. Uh, but to, you know, to me, the, the move to Denver is is awesome for his Dynasty value. Um, and you can, I think there's an argument to be made, whether he, he has a downgrade in, you know, weaponry going from Seattle to Denver. I do think, you know, Lockett plus Metcalf is, is better than Denver's top two wide receivers, but you know, Judy and Sutton isn't bad. Tim Patrick, who I, you know, I'm going to talk about a bit later as well. He's a really nice number three. Um, they still have Albert Okebunum there at tight end, who I think has some upside. You have a, you know, a, a young stud back in Javante Williams. So I think, you know, Wilson's weaponry is still just fine. But to me, the big thing, I think we're going to see him probably set a career high in passing attempts this season. I mean, that was always the the complaint from Wilson owners in Seattle. Just, you know, they, they didn't throw the ball enough. And, you know, and it's true. Wilson has never ranked higher than ninth in pass attempts per game. And he's only been in the top 15 once in his entire career. You know, he finished ninth that season. I, I think he has a, I think he's going to finish top 10. I think he has a chance to, you know, finish higher than the ninth set a new career high and passing attempts this season. So, so that's exciting for me. And again, I think, you know, even though he's an older guy, I think it's going to, you know, give him higher end production than he would have had in Seattle for at least the next, you know, handful of seasons. Yeah. I think he's a less significant mover for me just because I've always been in kind of the believe in Russell Wilson and trust that he's going to outperform what's around him. But it can only be a good thing to get out of what's going on in Seattle right now. Cause it looks like the guys running that team just abs- have no idea what they're doing at this point, just based on who they're spending money on and what they're trying to build. So it, I think it's, it's unquestionably a positive move and we'll see what he can do for the receivers. And we'll talk about the effect on those guys when we get to that position later on. I think a clear riser this off season is Kua Tonga-Vailoa and We'll see what he does with it. But if you add Tyreek Hill, I mean, we don't have a whole lot of evidence to go on in terms of measuring the impact, but it seems like a positive. So Tua's <laughs> going to go into uh, a season where he is, you know, last season was the first one where he was the guy going into the year. Now he gets his second year of that. He adds Tyreek Hill. He gets second year <clears throat> Jalen Waddle. The team retained Mike Gusecki. It even added Chase Edmonds. I mean, 
when you look at it versus the other moves, it's not all that significant, but it's probably an upgrade over Miles Gaskin as a receiver. Um, and the new coaching staff, Mike McDaniel, again, we don't know for sure that he's going to be a plus or, or how much of a plus he's going to be, but I would say based on how intelligent he comes across in his interviews, the history with Kyle Shanahan, I think it makes more sense to bet on him being a positive offensive influence than a negative here. So I think overall, I am much more optimistic for Tua right now than I have been at any other point since he entered the league. Yeah, me too. And Miami bolstered the offensive line this offseason too, which was key. You know, Tron Armstead, the, the most notable addition there. So that's good news for Tua. I mean, I think th- the biggest knock against Tua coming into the league was just maybe that you know he was more of a product of his weapons at Alabama. Like, he, he has like that – quality of weapons now in Miami. So there's really no excuses for Tua at this point. I do think this is kind of like a make or break season for him, but um, he's definitely someone I'm, I'm willing to bet on this year uh, and, and longer term in dynasty. And he's remained a decent value in best ball drafts right now, even outside of dynasty, um, despite the Tyreek Hill move. Any other guys in the risers category for you? No other risers for me. I mean, if we want to stick with Tyreek Hill, I do think Patrick Mahomes is a faller and he just has to be when you, when you lose a weapon, as good as Tyreek Hill, as good of a fit in the offense as Tyreek Hill. I mean, and you will see what the Chiefs do in the draft. But so far, they've just, you know, been making these, you know, shorter term additions. Juju Smith-Schuster on the one-year deal. MBS got a three-year deal. But if you look at it, it's really like a one-year commitment. And we'll see beyond that. Um, and that, now, maybe it's an opportunity to even go buy Patrick Mahomes if possible. Because he is still, you know, potentially the, the most talented quarterback we've ever seen. And he's still, you know, he still has age on his side. To me, he, you know, Mahomes went from in that top tier with Josh Allen. To me, now it's Josh Allen kind of alone in the top tier. And then Mahomes is with like the Justin Herberts, the Kyler Murray, the Lamar Jackson second tier. So he's still an awesome dynasty asset, but I, you know, he, he has to take a hit losing Tyreek Hill. Yeah. And I think we probably had Patrick Mahomes rated a little too highly um, over the past couple of years after the way he debuted as a starter. Uh, it might be a little bit more of a correction at this point, kind of forced upon us by Tyreek Hill. I've actually offered Patrick Mahomes twice to the Justin Herbert owner in our league, not straight up. I've tried to add some other things in just to see kind of what the perception is on Mahomes. So I don't know how successful that pursuit is at this point. And I'm not looking to sell low, but I agree with you that you have to take a a ding when Tyreek Hill is gone. Travis Kelsey's getting older. We'll talk about him a little bit later. You know, there's a chance that we see a lot less from Patrick Mahomes this season and maybe over the next few than what we've seen um, so far in his young career on the faller side as well. I think Aaron Rodgers necessarily has to fall because he loses yeah. Devonte Adams. And I have no idea yet what he's going to add. It hasn't been nothing to this point. It's a, it looks like a nice draft to be looking for wide receivers and to have the first round picks, but you know, you can add two day one wideouts and still not get what he had with Devonte okay. Adams over the past few years. So especially with a guy like Rogers, who's so close to the end of his career and it's, you know, it's a risky asset in dynasty anyway. I think you take away his top receiver and it's tough for me to like him at all. Really? Yeah. Agreed. I don't know what you do with him necessarily. Cause I don't think you're going to get a lot from him in a trade. Like if you're a competing team, I just hang on to him. hope he can give you, you know, one more top 12 season. I don't, I don't think, you know, selling low probably isn't the move unless you're a total rebuild and you're willing to take, I don't know, like a you know third round rookie pick for Rogers. It might make sense in that case. Yeah, I think the best bet is if you're in super flex and you go to a team that's that's weak at one quarterback spot and you probably still have to take a little bit low, but I think he might even be at the point now where selling what seems like a little bit low could work out, you know, as soon as a year from now. Yeah, that's fair. 
So this has been a crazy year for movement at, at many positions, but you know, a noisy one at quarterback. So we'll talk about some of the guys that have switched teams and the impact there. And obviously you have to start with Deshaun Watson. So the off field stuff with him is the question mark that we don't know the answer to yet. And clearly with the deplorable contract structure that he and Cleveland worked out, they don't even know what's going to happen. Roger Goodell says there's no timeline for it because the NFL loves to push these things off until something forces them to actually decide when and whether he's going to be suspended. So we don't know about Watson for this season. Dynasty, I think that matters a whole lot less. And I think it's more about what we should expect longer term. And clearly the guaranteed contract says Cleveland's committing to him. And to me, Jared, I think what you might worry about with Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland is, oh, they've been run heavy. But when they trade for Deshaun Watson, give up as much as they did both in picks and money, trade for Amari Cooper and sign David Njoku for significant money, <clears throat> That tells me that we should expect this team to throw a pretty good bit more starting in 2022. Now, I don't know if we can expect a shift all the way to like what the 2020 Bills did, but something similar to what the Ravens did last year before Lamar Jackson went down, I think is well within reach. Yeah, I, I currently have them projected to be like middle of the pack in pass rate, whereas, you know, they were like bottom five last season. So it, it's a significant shift. I'm going to do I don't think they're going to become the Bills or the Bucks and be, you know, top three in pass rate. Um, so it's not in Stefanski's DNA from what we've seen so far. And they do still have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who are going to be big pieces of the offense. But the nice thing with Watson is, you know, you don't need him to throw it 650 times. One, he has been super efficient as a passer in his career so far. He's actually second all time in adjusted yards per pass attempt and adjusted yards per pass attempt just takes yards per attempt and then factors in touchdowns and, you know, deducts them for, for interceptions. Um, he is behind only Patrick Mahomes in career adjusted yards per pass attempt right ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. So yeah, I feel like the fact that we haven't seen Watson in a while now, people have maybe forgotten just how good he is as a passer. And then you throw in the rushing ability, 31 rushing yards per game for his career so far, that's sixth most, among active quarterbacks. So a super efficient passer, you know, is going to give us a lot of fantasy value with his legs behind a nice offensive line in Cleveland, some weapons. Now, you know, we'll see, I think they're going to make another addition at wide receiver. We'll see if they, you know, bring Jarvis Landry back or, or add a rookie, but you know, Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku, there, there's enough there. Um, so, you know, I, you know, off field stuff aside, I am very in on Watson in dynasty, you know, going forward, he turns uh, just 27 in September. So he's still super young. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff could make him even a buy low to some degree because his ceiling is top three at the position yeah. still. So, um, you know, morality aside, and if you don't want to be involved with Sean Watson, that's totally understandable. But just from a, a pure fantasy points perspective, uh, I certainly think he still has that ceiling. And, you know, we could look back. I, I was remembering this morning at how uh, efficient he's been as a passer so far. We can say, yeah, but he spent all that time with DeAndre Hopkins. Marty Cooper's not shabby as your, you know, next number one receiver. And like you said, they're going to still add something, maybe to something significant at wide out going forward. So uh, I think that he'll be in good shape overall fantasy wise um, with who he's throwing to Mitchell Trubisky signed with the Steelers after a fair amount of noise that he was, I don't know, a hot commodity. Um, I, I think that the money came out making sense for what he is versus the, the landscape that he comes out into but now, Jared, I don't know whether to consider him a sell for Dynasty or a buy. And I think it really could differ depending on yeah. what your particular league mates think of him and your situation, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'd i say if there's anyone in your, in your league who is betting on Trubisky making it as a long-term starter in the NFL, I'd, I'd sell Trubisky to that owner right now. I mean, you know, e- even the contract the Steelers gave him, I don't even think it locks him in as their starter this season. I think he probably is. You know, Pittsburgh's probably waiting to see what gets to them in the draft. I think they pick like 20th or something, so they might they probably don't have a chance at Willis without a move up. Uh, we'll see which of the other guys makes it to them. Um, you know, two years, $14 million. Um, you know, that puts them outside the top 20 in average annual salary and 2022 salary. And if you look at the contract, they can pretty much get out of it after this season. So it's really just a one year deal. So I think Pittsburgh's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll maybe give Trubisky a shot this season. Maybe he surprises us, but more likely than not, you know, our, our long-term starter is not on the roster at this point. Yeah. I mean, most likely is this is a super flex league decision. It's probably not somebody that's on the move and in one quarterback leagues, I agree that if somebody is valuing him, um, go ahead and sell him. I would also be okay with holding him because when Trubisky is on the field, he's a, a high upside fantasy quarterback. The upside here is that he can be top 12 caliber as long as he's starting. The downside is I'm with you. I the, I would much rather bet that he's going to stay a long-term bust than that he suddenly blossoms in this new opportunity. And, you know, uh, you can go ahead and miss me with the stories about how he reinvented himself (laughs) sitting for a year behind Josh Allen in the QB Haven that Buffalo is (laughs) at this point. So Trubisky valuable for not valuable, solid upside for 2022, uh, not a lock for anything at this point. So, you know, read the landscape of your particular league. I mean, I'd say the spot to hold Trubisky and maybe even try to buy him for cheaply is in a super flex league if you're competing. I think Trubisky could be a useful quarterback too this season. Um, as you said, he has flashed upside. He can run um, 21 rushing yards per game for his career so far. And, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, he'll be working with, I think, pretty easily the best weapons of his career. You know, he, he did not have a whole lot to work with in Chicago. Yes, a nice spot for him to land this year. And it's good for him that this QB class doesn't have any guaranteed year one starters. We'll yes, see where these guys sure. end up going. It seems like based on mock drafting, we could either expect the first one to go like sixth or the first one to go like 25th and nobody knows. Yeah, definitely an underwhelming quarterback class. So as you said, that's that that helps Trubisky, at least for for 2022. It helps Carson Wentz as well, who for the second straight offseason has been traded for fairly significant draft picks. So I think Carson Wentz probably has even less of a selling market than Mitchell Trubisky. I think he's a hold in all formats. And I think he's he probably is even a little bit better fantasy prospect than Trubisky because based on what Washington gave up, I think there's a better chance that Carson Wentz finishes this season as Washington's starter than Mitchell Trubisky does. And of course, some of that depends on who each team might draft coming up. But Carson Wentz arguably might be in a better spot now than he was last year. He has Terry McLaurin, he has Curtis Samuel, and he's with a team that's probably going to throw the ball more than Indy did last year. The Colts are just fifth, uh, the fifth most run-heavy team in the league. Washington was two spots above that with Taylor Heineke as its starter. In the previous two years, they were a 60 to 62% passing team. Yeah, so Wentz is counting a little over $28 against Washington's cap this season. So that, that to me pretty much locks them in as, as at least their week one starter. And I think, you know, kind of see where it goes from there. And if they do add a rookie in the first round, but I do think Wentz will be the week one starter. Um, he has no dead money in his contract beyond this season. So he could definitely be just a one and done guy in Washington. That's kind of how I would treat him in fantasy. I think he's, you know, kind of 
there with Trubisky, where if you're competing and need a quarterback too in a super flex league, Wentz can help you this season, but I would not be expecting much from him beyond 2022. I can't believe the stuff coming straight out of the, the Colts coaches and you know front office mouth about you know how, how much they hate Wentz and just wanted him out of there for kind of you know whatever they could get. It's really just Jim Ursay though, isn't it? I, I think Reich said some stuff too, hasn't he? I don't know. I, I heard him yeah. saying that he loved Carson Wentz. I didn't read. I don't tend to read into those comments too much, but I see the headlines from Jim Mercer yeah. saying that was a mistake that we clearly needed to get out of. Right, which is just something you you know you don't hear often, so it's just kind of shocking when you do. Jim Mercer though is somebody who tends to say <laughs> things that we don't often sure. hear. <laughs> sure, that's fair. That's why I wonder though. You know, sometimes guys like that, sometimes they're just as crazy as they seem. Other times they're the only one actually saying the truth. So it's it's interesting yeah. either way. For sure. Marcus Mariota was another QB carousel guy signed in Atlanta after they traded away Matt Ryan. And it's, it's easy to see what the upside path could be for Marcus Mariota based on how he can run. We saw a flash of it with the Raiders, but I think it's also important to remember his history. And that is back in Tennessee, 2015, 16, 17, five years as a starter there, he finished as QB 22, QB 11, QB 23, QB 36, and QB 33 in fantasy points per game. So the rushing upside is there, but it did not help him pretty much at all with the Titans. So it's not something we should count on uh, delivering real fantasy value this season. He just, he just ran less in Tennessee than I remember. 22 rushing yards per game in Tennessee, just you know one more yard per game than Trubisky averaged in Chicago. So I, 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 you know, I think Mariota based, if you just go back to his college career and his measurables has upside to do more on the ground, we'll see if Atlanta lets him do it. Um, but man, I, you know, who, who is he throwing to in Atlanta this season, Kyle Pitts and not much else at this point, they do have the eighth overall pick in, in the draft. I think, you know, you see a wide receiver mocked there a lot of times, but even then, you know, you add Drake London and then it's just like a subpar pass catching core rather than an awful pass catching core. So that's sort of why Mariota is not super interesting for this season. And then he's another guy where you look at the contract, it's really just a one year commitment from Atlanta. I, w- I would expect them to, you know, add someone either this year or next year's draft, you know, Mariota is more likely than not just the, just a one year starter for Atlanta. Yeah. He's worth stashing on somebody's bench, but he's not somebody that should move the trade market at all. Baker Mayfield. I'm very curious to see how things wind up with him. And it stinks for him that he's stuck in Cleveland who has handled this as poorly as you possibly <laughs> could the situation because Baker Mayfield, I think at this point, we all collectively underrate what he's done as a quarterback. He was terrible last year. He was also playing through a shoulder injury through much of the year. The year before, Mayfield had the eighth best PFF passing grade among starting quarterbacks. 2018, he was 11th as a rookie in that category. In between was a rough year. So, so far we have two solid to good seasons of Baker Mayfield as an NFL quarterback and two bad seasons. So I would say at worst right now, the jury's out and we'll see where he goes. But the the way that he's being treated in Cleveland and everything surrounding it, it kind of changes the perception to, well, here's a a quarterback bust. Yeah. I mean, I'm not ready to bury him yet. But man, it seems like the NFL is kind of close to that point. Um, it, it it sounds like teams are just waiting for the Browns to release Mayfield because you know they they can't take on his contract. But even when that happens, um, I don't know. Like Seattle seems like the only place. I guess, I guess Carolina too is another spot where you know he he could win the Week One 
starting job. And there's, you know, there's just not a whole lot of spots left for Mayfield to, you know, to have a job for, for this coming season. Carolina, of course, was the spot where it was reported that the two sides don't want each other. I forget if it was the Panthers or him, or they just agreed yeah. that they didn't want that. It was like, it, it was like mutual disinterest, I think was the, was the, <laughs> the phrase. I find it hard to believe. Honestly, if he's a free agent, I don't see why Carolina would be like, ew. And I don't see why he would be like, I don't want to live in Charlotte. So (laughs) that one doesn't make any sense to me if there is truly mutual disinterest. Yeah, I mean, you could do worse than throwing to DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, right? And and having to beat out Sam Darnold, which I think Baker Mayfield could do. If I'm the Bucs, I'm like, all right, guys, let's just wait until they cut Baker Mayfield and then we will sign him. He can shack up with Tom for a year. They can eat breakfast together. And then next year uh, we've got a new quarterback. Yeah, it would be a good move for the Bucs. I don't know if Baker is willing to you know, sit for a year, but it'd probably be a good move for his career at this point. He might have to. And I, I've been through Tampa a few times. It's not a bad place to spend a year if that's what you're, um, you know, if that's what you're destined to do. For sure. Davis Mills is the last quarterback we'll talk about. And he hasn't moved anywhere, but nobody else has moved in at the position in Houston. And Jared, he seems like, you know, somebody that's easy to forget about. It's mm-hmm. a matter of time before Houston replaces him, but that might not be the case. I think all of this movement, all these other names might have him a little bit underrated at this point. He had a nice rookie year, especially considering where he did it. Like Houston, this team that we all, we all thought was like a total doormat heading into last season. But you know, so there were, there were five rookie quarterbacks that had 300 plus dropbacks last year. Mills was one of them. Then you had Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. Mills finished third among those five in PFF passing grade ahead of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. He was second in adjusted completion rate behind only Mac Jones. So, you know, there was less fanfare on Mills coming into the league. He was not a first round pick, uh, but he was the number one recruit in the 2017 recruiting class. Like he was a highly touted recruit coming into the college ranks, you know, had some injury issues at Stanford, didn't have a great career there, but I I think there's some potential there. Houston, so far as talking as if, you know, he, he's going to get a shot to be the guy again this season. They do have the third overall pick and the 13th overall pick in the draft next month. So and that, that'll kind of tell us exactly how high they are in Mills, you know, whether they choose to spend one of those two picks on one of these rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, and he's another guy who stands to benefit from it being a weak quarterback class. So we'll see what Houston does. But, I mean, if he goes from, you know, a surprising rookie season, I think we can all agree, to – a solid to good second season, it would be tough to just displace him in year three. And he was somebody that was talked about as a potential future NFL starter heading into last year's draft and probably slipped to some degree because he only had 11 starts in college. So I think that it's, it's easy to overlook him. And I think that you probably can overlook him and not wind up regretting it, but Davis Mills is stashable right now. And he's somebody who could stick as a starter and be like a Derek Carr type going forward. Right. I mean, that's the thing. There's not a huge fantasy ceiling because he offers nothing as a runner. And, you know, Houston still has a long way to go to, you know, be an offense that's really going to, you know, support a quarterback one that doesn't run the ball. So the, the fantasy upside isn't huge. But again, super flex, you're looking for just starters. And Mills has a chance to be, you know, a longer term starter in the NFL. Yep. And Superflex is gaining every season. So it's more and more significant. So keep Davis Mills in mind if you're looking for a lower roster quarterback who might surprise you going forward. Now, though, let's move on to running backs. And for risers, Jared, I got to start with Elijah Mitchell because he came from nowhere last year to somewhere this year. And now it's a question of where he belongs. So 
among 61 running backs with 70 plus carries last year, we all know the raw numbers, but here are some more advanced numbers. 21st among that 61 player group and elusive rating, 23rd in PFF rushing grade, 19th among 50 qualifiers in football outsiders rushing DVOA, 16th in PPR points per game, 25th in total PPR points, missed six games, 13th among running backs and carries, tied for 64th in targets, nine fewer targets than Jermichael Hasty. And that's the area that has me wary of getting too excited about Elijah Mitchell going forward. What about you? No, I have him here as a riser as well. And it's really just because, you know, he, he, he made it through for agency, well, I guess not completely yet. There's still some, you know, running backs out there and Melvin Gordon in particular, uh, but I haven't heard him linked to San Francisco at all, but you know, so far Mitchell's made it through for agency without the Niners making any significant additions and they did not bring or he most it back. And you know, everything we saw last season, every time Mitchell was healthy, he was the clear workhorse and he was getting 20 carries, 20 plus carries in a lot of those games. Um, so he still has to dodge the draft here. Um, you know, Trey Sermon is still in San Francisco. You know, we'll see if he can turn things around this coming season, but it, you know, it's looking more and more like uh, Mitchell will, will again be, you know, the, the workhorse ball carrier in San Francisco this season, even if he's not going to do a whole lot in the passing game. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly he is a factor. I expect him to stay a factor in their running game. I also think that we should expect them to add something and to give somebody else carries this coming year, because that's the way that Kyle Shanahan has been operating in San Francisco. So, you know, I'm not selling Elijah Mitchell for whatever I can get, but Mm -hmm. I'm also not trusting that he is really an RB one or even a high to mid RB two going forward. Cause I think there's room for, that to just be a flash and him to go away. Really? I mean, the, the, I think, you know, even though I, I say I'm not expecting him to crash, I do think mm-hmm. there's a chance that we just saw his best season and that nothing else, you know, matches that. He is a guy who shared work with Trey Ragas at Louisiana. He is a guy who couldn't do better than Louisiana and was a sixth round pick to the same team that took Trey Sermon in round three. So I'm not saying Trey Sermon's going to outperform him this year, saying Trey Sermon probably gets a little bit more work this year. I think they probably add something else, whether it's a later free agent or something else in the draft. So I guess overall, I'm guessing that there's probably going to be somebody more excited about Elijah Mitchell's outlook than I am in my league in most cases. Yeah. I mean, that, that's always tough to know, but I mean, I was actually just going to say that I, I think all those concerns you mentioned, you know, most people have those and I don't think you're going to get, you know, a top 15 return, you know, top 15 running back type of return for Mitchell. Just looking at the um, startup ADP on Dynasty League Football, he's RB22 in startup ADP, which I, I think is fair. You know, I'm not going out and buying him at that price, but I'm, I'm not going to sell him for an RB22 return right now in most cases. So I, I just think he's a hold. So where's Damian Harris on that, Sam West? He is RB31. That's kind of what's got me thinking that somebody else is valuing Elijah Mitchell more, because I think that that's really the realistic outlook is that he's similar to Damian Harris. Damian Harris is going that much later. And I mean, if I can sell Elijah Mitchell for Miles Sanders plus something or CEH plus something, then I'm willing to do that. Even if I end up being wrong, ultimately. Yeah, totally fair there. Who do you have besides Mitchell on the risers? I have James Conner, who I think was like almost written off. You know, at this time last year by dynasty owners, he, you know, he's younger than you think he's, you know, I think 27 now. Um, so you're not, not like you know, where you have age on his side necessarily, but I'm also not worried about a decline at this point in his career. And you know, I, I just, it sure looks like he's going to be the feature back in Arizona uh, for the next handful of seasons here. We saw him in that role for six games last year without Chase Edmonds and James Conner was a stud in fantasy 16.7 carries and 5.3 targets 
in the six games that Chase Edmonds missed. He got a three-year, $21 million deal, which is pretty nice money for a running back uh, in this day and age. He's actually 10th among running backs in the average annual salary this season. It's just a good spot for running backs. You know, we saw Kenny and Drake. You remember when he came over to Arizona in 2019 in that trade in the middle of the season? He was a top 10 running back the rest of the way. Drake was RB16 in points per game in 2020. Then again, we saw James Conner when he was kind of the clear lead back put up big fantasy numbers last season. So I just, again, it's, he's not someone you're going to build around who you're going to get, you know, five, six seasons out of, but I think Connor can give you, you know, two to three more high quality fantasy seasons right now. It's nice to see that a running back in his mid to later twenties can get paid for producing at the same time. You kind of have to wonder about a team deciding to do that just a year after proving that they can find a guy who can do that for less than $2 million on the open market. It's like the NFL teams refuse to learn their own <laughs> lesson sometimes, you know, again, I'm happy that he and Leonard Fournette can get that money, but it goes against what the teams just showed in the previous free agent cycle is possible. So I, I agree. James Conner, you have to like how this offseason has gone for him when last year he got a tiny one-year deal and now he gets three years and 21. Same type of deal for Leonard Fournette with Tampa Bay, where last year all he got was a one-year $3 million deal, and now he gets paid. I wish that I had bet on those guys in early best ball drafting before free agency opened. You know, I was thinking, though, these guys just signed small one-year deals. Uh, I It's tough to bet on them now getting big money and keeping those workloads. It, at a time when the league knows that aging running backs are not assets worth betting on, <laughs> then they go and do that. So I think, you know, it's certainly interesting for those two. I think it's also worth keeping in mind as we determine how to value some other running backs that are moving toward that area. You know, the guy who might be 25 and seeming like he's struggling a little bit. It, it's maybe a reminder that there's potential for him to rebound. Um, and get the opportunity. So we might talk about a couple of guys like that going forward. But, you know, I agree for now, James Conner, Leonard Fournette look like more valuable fantasy assets in Dynasty than they were seeming like they were headed for a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not have given James Conner a three-year $21 million deal if I was the Cardinals GM. But, I mean, for fantasy purposes, like, to me, it just says that they really value him, think he's a good fit in the offense. And it really, you know, we'll see. Teams do surprising things. But it, it'd be surprising to me if they spent – Big draft capital on a running back. I, I do think Arizona is probably going to add a running back because right now it's, you know, Benjamin and I think Jonathan Ward behind James Conner. So you know, maybe a day three back. Um, but, but again, if that's all they add, I think Conner is, is pretty safe as you know, the, the clear feature guy in that backfield this season. I wouldn't be shocked if it's a day two guy. I think the Cardinals have made some questionable offensive decisions at some point. I think the jury's still out on Cliff Kingsbury as a coach. But yeah, it's a good opportunity for James Conner and we'll see exactly what they mm -hmm. add. My other riser is Antonio Gibson, and it's not because I'm in love with Antonio Gibson going forward, but because he has climbed, I think, perception-wise versus last year. He did get more work in his second season, up from 12.1 carries per game to 16.1. His yards per carry were down, though. His elusive rating was down. His rushing DVOA was down, 38th among 50 qualifiers in that category. His receptions per game were exactly the same. And then Washington paid up in free agency to keep J.D. McKissick from leaving town. So it seems like they want to keep throwing those passes to McKissick and not, you know, bump up Gibson's work. So I like Antonio Gibson at cost for this coming season because drafters have knocked him down a little bit after he didn't quite deliver what they were hoping for on upside last year. 
But I think he's probably a little bit overrated longer term. I think if draft capital works out for the top rookies this year, I'd probably rather have Brees Hall than Antonio Gibson straight up. Maybe Kenneth Walker. We'll see exactly where he lands and how early he's picked. Um, and then, you know, I've got some other veterans that I'll compare Gibson to in a few minutes, but that's kind of where I am on him. I, I'm more likely to yeah. sell Gibson right now versus his perceived value than I am to, to buy or hold. Yeah, man, I was excited for him for those like two days where we thought McKissick was a bill. Cause you know, that, that, that's what we need unlocked with, with Gibson is that pass catching ability, which we all thought, we all thought that was what he was going to be best at coming into the league. Cause I mean, he was kind of that hybrid, you know, slot receiver running back at Memphis. And I still think he can do it, but Washington so far um, has not been willing to give him that role. I, I do think it's worth remembering, you know, he played through that stress fracture in his shin through you know, pretty much all of last season. So I'm willing to, you know, write off maybe some of the, the dips in efficiency. I still like him as a runner. And again, I still think he can do it in the passing game. You know, he needs the opportunity because like is 28 years old, you know, he's an undersized back. He's coming off the, the what was it? A, a neck injury. Um, so I do think McKissick is more of a short-term concern, but the long-term concern is just, you know, is Washington's coaching staff willing to give Gibson that pass catching role, or are they just going to go sign another pass catching back? You know, when, when uh, McKissick's time is up. Well, and of course, if it is really a two-year deal for McKissick, that could be the extent of Gibson's time in Washington, too, sure. because it's, you know, even though we just talked about Connor and Fournette, it's not necessarily a good idea to bet on the long-term outlook for a running back. And I think that's the, the one other thing to factor in for Gibson is he was an exciting athlete coming into the league. He was not the typical running back prospect, but he also wasn't a super prospect. He never really found his spot in Memphis um, yep. He wasn't clearly a lead back coming into the league. So, you know, th- there's a chance that that it's somebody who looks like this rare package who, if you give him workhorse touches, is going to do big things. But I would say overall that that's not really how he projects. He's just tough to figure out because he's, you know, he's to me, he's been much better as a runner than expected and you know, has been much less productive in the passing game than, than I expected him to be. Yeah, not a sell at all costs, but if I find somebody that's willing to buy him in the middle of RB1 range, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to work something out. On the faller's side, what do you got? Or do you have any more risers, I guess, before we move on? Uh, no more risers for me. My faller is Nick Chubb, and you know, it might seem counterintuitive when you add a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. It's going to kind of you know elevate the offense, and, and I do think that's going to happen. You know, Maybe Chubb scores even more touchdowns, but I, I think his volume is going to take a hit with Deshaun Watson's arrival, and one, because as we talked about, I think Cleveland's going to pass more. Their pass rate's going to climb. Uh, so fewer carries to go around. And I think Deshaun Watson is going to you know, steal some of those carries. There's only so many you know, carries to go around. And when you have a quarterback that's going to you know, be getting six to eight of those per game you know, versus Baker Mayfield, who is you know, taking maybe one or two, I, I just think some of that is going to come out of Nick Chubb's totals. It's tough to imagine him being much more efficient than he's already been. I mean, he's already been averaging over five yards per carry every season of his career. It's tough to, you know, go project him for six yards per carry just because Watson is there. And then he just, you know, he's still just almost a zero in the passing game. And I don't see that changing. You know, this, this all assumes Kareem Hunt hangs around. I have seen him mentioned as a cup candidate. You know, if that happens, then it's kind of, you know, wheels up for, for Nick Chubb. But if he's still, you know, in a, a timeshare and I was going to see fewer carries and still do nothing in the passing game, um, I just think, you know, his shorter term value is taking a hit. And, you know, he's not, he's not super young anymore. I think he's like 26, 27 years old now. So, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of at his peak right now, probably has a few good years left in him. But again, I just think he, he's taken a hit in the short term. Yeah. I think he's okay to sell. I wouldn't be looking too hard to sell him at worst. Kareem Hunt is around for the rest of this year. Then his contract's up after that. 
you know, it, it remains a good situation. I think mo- almost all of Deshaun Watson's <laughs> rushing work is going to come from scrambles as opposed to stealing from him. But, you know, I, I can, I can see that aspect. So I, I, I kind of agree with what you say. I'm not worried about Chubb overall, but um, we're at the peak right now where it's no cool time to sell, depending on what you can get for him. Fallers, I have Clyde Edwards E. Lair, and I mentioned him a few minutes ago. You know, it, it's kind of the, the opposite of Gibson in that I'm not against him because the market is now against him. Just looking back at December in Dynasty League football, Dynasty ADP, he was RB16. Now here we are in March, he's RB27. And I mean, what has really changed between December and now? They haven't drafted anybody. These prospects are not in the league yet, although they're a bit more into our view at this point. And the Chiefs have signed Ronald Jones. I, I think that's about as good an addition for CEH's outlook as could have come this offseason. Because I, I, and I'm sure everybody else, expected the Chiefs to sign another running back once they let Darrell Williams and Jarek McKinnon hit the open market. Ronald Jones is a good addition, I think, because he hasn't proved to us that he's actually that good at anything in the NFL yet. And he certainly has showed us that he's not a good passing game player. So we should see good passing down work for CEH going forward, perhaps even more than we've seen to this point. And I'm not sure that Ronald Jones steals anything in particular versus what could have landed with him. Yeah, I think the market is closer to correct on CEH now than they were, you know, back in December. I do think RB27 is kind of close to where he should be valued. You know, the Chiefs obviously thought they were getting a lot more than they've gotten so far when they took him in the first round. I just think now through two seasons, what we've seen from CEH, you know, he's been decently efficient. He's dealt with some injuries. You know, he isn't a smaller back. I just, you know, the, I think the Chiefs realize he's, you know, never going to be that feature back that they, they can get 15 carries to plus all the passing game work. Um, I do still think he can be a solid contributor in the passing game. Um, I, I just think he's going to you know, continue losing, you know, carries to someone else, whether it's Ronald Jones or, or someone else that they had longer term. So again, um, the, the what's working in his favor is obviously being in a Patrick Mahomes led offense and Andy Reed led offense. And then Tyreek Hill's departure frees up a bunch of targets. So I, I'm with you. I think if this is kind of it for the Chiefs additions to the backfield, I think CEH should set new career highs in, you know, targets and, and catches, this season, but I, I don't think he's going to give you big rushing production this season or longer term. I think we're at a point in the NFL where there are maybe eight running backs sure. who are not like losing carries to somebody else. So I think that still gets just kind of overplayed in perceptions with running backs where, you know, the RB 16 is not anymore a 15 carry a game guy. It's more like a, a 12 to 14 carry per game player. And if CEH's upside even is RB16, I'll take that versus his RB27 right now. Sure. Yep, that's fair. Who else do you have for fallers? I just said Chubb. I'm trying to be positive today. All right. I don't care about being positive, so I'm going to mention Aaron Jones, and it's a it's similar fashion. Uh, I'm not against Aaron Jones, but the market is. He outcarried A.J. Dillon in the final two regular season games that mattered this year. He, of course, sat out basically the final game where they had things clinched. 22 to seven lead in opportunities over Dylan in their playoff loss to the 49ers, 12 carries versus seven for Dylan, all 10 of the targets between them. I think we should look for plenty of targets for Aaron Jones this year. There are cap questions the next two seasons. So there's a possibility that he's not on the team beyond this coming year. But if you're looking at spot track, 9.6 million in dead cap for 2023, which will be Aaron Jones's age 29 campaign. So I think versus where he's perceived right now, Aaron Jones is somebody to buy 
for production over the next two years in PPR leagues. To me, Jones was and still is the biggest winner in Green Bay from the Devonta Adams trade, and we've seen it. So in the last seven games, Devonta Adams has missed. Jones has averaged 6.7 targets and 5.1 catches per game. So I, I think he's going to get the target boost with Devonta Adams out of the picture. To me, when I, when I was going back and doing Packers projections last month, I, I was surprised at how good A.J. Dillon has been in the passing game so far as a pro. You know, he did nothing in the passing game in college, but he's been effective there. So I do think, you know, he can eat into Aaron Jones' passing game a little bit, but I just think, you know, the, the fact that I'd be more worried about Jones if Adams was still there. Adams leaving has me a lot more op- optimistic about Jones for at least the next, you know, basically for as long as Aaron Rodgers sticks around with the Packers. Yeah, I think the question is whether Green Bay can keep scoring touchdowns as often as they have in recent seasons without Devontae Adams, but you don't have to bet on the high end of that to still have Aaron Jones be a central part and maybe in for more touches in that offense now. Yep, agreed. Any value targets on the market beyond guys we've already talked about? I mean, Tra- Travis Etienne is someone I'm trying to get wherever I can at this point. Um, so he's RB19 in um, that recent startup ADP over at DLF. We have him a few spots higher than that in our rankings. You know, even a few spots when you're talking about, you know, top 20 running back is, is pretty significant. I'm just I'm just still willing to bet on the prospect profile we saw coming out of Clemson. You know, just big rushing production, big receiving production at a big time school against tough competition at Clemson. And really with the, the Jags, I'm just giving the entire team a mulligan for whatever that was last season under Urban Meyer. I think the entire offense, you know, with a new coaching staff, with some additions they made at wide receiver and bringing Evan Ingram. And I, I just think that offense is about to take a leap forward. And James, J- James Robinson is a total question mark for the start of the season with his injury. Uh, so I think now is, you know, probably your last chance to acquire Travis Etienne for, you know, r- relatively cheaply. We're above consensus, and I think even we're low on Travis Etienne. I'm buying this offseason as well, and he's the kind of guy that I'm willing to take a big swing on, even if it ends up being a whiff, because I think the payoff could be huge. I think that he is the type of player who could, by next year, be a top four consideration for drafts Mm -hmm. at the position. And, you know, the downside is that he just disappoints, and I'm willing to take that shot and just, you know, reload after that. But, like, why is he not – Alvin Kamara with a better talent and production profile coming out of college or DeAndre Swift with better profiles coming out of college. I mean, all those guys are good players. Obviously Swift and Kamara have already done something in the NFL, but ETN was a first round pick was not a guy that people didn't think belonged that high versus running backs, you know, unless you just don't think running backs belong that high at all. Um, But felt like he belonged in that range. Now he's in an offense that has a much better coaching staff He's playing with his college quarterback. James Robinson is effectively out of the way. We'll see about his Achilles as we get closer to the season, but there's a significant chance that James Robinson is not ready to be a factor this season and thus opens up the job for ETN. So I'm just going to go ahead and buy him here. I like him better than the entire rookie class in terms of valuations going forward. Yeah, I think he looks like a better prospect than anyone in this incoming class. You know, we'll see where those guys land. We do have E10 returning from the list, Frank. That can be a tough injury to return from. It's not a major concern for me. It's just something to, to keep an eye on this offseason. But, you know, he's clearly ahead of James Robinson in, in their rehabs. I think ETN's supposed to be ready for the entire offseason program. So, I mean, it, it, he he could be there with Kamara and Swift, you know, in six months. Just the, the difference with ETN, we, we just haven't seen it at the NFL level. That's the only difference. You know, as, as a prospect, you know, I, Alvin Kamara was my – comp for ETN coming into the league, you know, just he, someone who's probably not going to get, you know, 18 carries a game and get 
12 to, to 14 and do a whole lot in the passing game. Yeah. And I mean that, you know, that's the key in dynasty is you got to buy it before you see it. And you need to decide whether you're willing to buy that. Haven't seen it yet. Um, and mm-hmm. the, with ETN, I'm willing to, even if it ends up being the wrong call. Me too. Miles Sanders is another guy that I'm buying. He's heading into the final year of his contract. So there's some uncertainty, but I think he's a guy who can kind of fit into that mold of James Conner, Leonard Fournette, you know, giving us hope for what we can expect going forward. Even Rashad Penny, who disappointed more than Miles Sanders for sure over his first few seasons, had last season's rebound, got some money on the open market from Seattle this year. So I think Miles Sanders, the perception on him now has him down in RB3 range, even in, in redraft, where I think the path to production for this season is even easier than it is to see for his long term. For 2021, he was seventh in rushing DVOA. That number has improved each season he's been in the league so far. His yards before contact per attempt improved each of the past two years. He has improved his tackle breaking rates and yards after reception uh, last year. So I think it's a guy that looks good as a player whose opportunity is there. I mean, you have to figure it out. You don't know for sure what his touch counts are going to be this year. But it's not hard to create the path in your mind for Miles Sanders to plenty of work this year. So I, I like him much more than where the market has him right now. I'm with you. I think Sanders' 2021 was you know maybe the strangest among any like fantasy relevant running back. You remember the Eagles started the season super pass heavy, so people were complaining that Sanders wasn't getting enough carries. As soon as Philly made that shift to go run heavy, that's when Sanders got hurt with, with the ankle injury. He came back, and in like the four games he – played later on in the season he, he got fat he had he had he was averaging like 15 16 carries per game that was encouraging the other thing with Sanders last season he didn't score a single touchdown on 137 carries which is just you know that's going to regress back in his favor this coming season so I'm with you he's not even 25 years old yet either so you know he entered the league as a super young prospect so I like that call I would you know I would rather have Sanders straight up over Clyde Edwards Alaire at this point and Sanders is like seven or eight spots below CEH in the dynasty startup ADP Yep, I agree with that. Other players worth discussing, Saquon Barkley. And I guess, let me hear, I, obviously I know where I stand on Saquon Barkley. Where you, how do you feel about Saquon yeah. Barkley heading into this season? I mean, it's, it's it's just we've seen nothing. We've gotten nothing from him for two years now. Um, so you're kind of, you know, you're leaning on his first couple seasons in the NFL. You're leaning on the prospect profile, which, you know, what was elite. He was an elite-looking prospect come, coming out. You know, he was a top-five pick in the NFL draft. He's also still just 25 years old. So, you know, despite him already playing four years in the NFL, he is still – he's basically at peak age and experience based on, again, those aging curves we looked at this offseason. He's, like, at his peak right now, which, you know, people might, you know, think he's beyond that just for how long he's been in the NFL. But, you know, again, just 25 years old. And and I, I'm bullish on the Giants offense with the new coaching staff there. Um, there's, there's enough weapons where I think, you know, that could be – it should be a much better offense than what we saw last season. So I'm not, like, gung-ho going out and buying Saquon Barkley because I do think there are concerns just with all the injuries that have piled up over the past couple of seasons, but I would also not be surprised if he, you know, rebounds and finishes as a top five running back this season. If that happens, you're talking about a guy who just finished top five and he's, you know, going to be just 26 entering the 2023 season. You know, then, then you're talking about, you know, a top six, seven dynasty running back. I would say that I'm closer to gung ho, especially in a marketplace where running backs don't tend to be highly valued. So I think it's probably easier to grab him than it would be a comparable wide receiver as a rookie. He posted the number 15 PPR season ever for running backs. He set rookie records for receptions and PPR points by a running back. He then navigated a a high ankle sprain right toward the beginning of year two. I think it was like week four 
of that season where he suffered that injury, uh, came back. It had his production was lower after he returned, and he also had a rookie quarterback in the lineup at that point. ACL tear, obviously, in week two of 2020, ended that season. It really seemed to doom last season as well when he was not at full strength at the start of the year and then had Joe Judge's staff in charge of the offense. So, I mean, things worked dramatically against him over the past two years. So I'm much more willing to overlook that and, you know, make a relative bet on what happened the first two seasons. I'm not saying giving whatever it takes to get Barkley, but versus where his perception is right now, I'm much more willing to bet that he rebounds into something good. And, you know, like you said, it's a coaching staff that seems more worth betting on going forward. And just, you know, like we're talking dynasty here, but his redraft perception, he's in round three of underdog drafts. So nobody is saying Saquon Barkley is definitely still a stud. Yeah, that's I, yeah, I think he's a better value in, in redraft right now. Like I'm gobbling him up in the third round because I, I I expect him to, to be on the Giants, by the way. I know there have been some trade rumors, but I, I don't think a team is going to swing a trade for Barkley. I Meaning if they did, I don't think they're probably going to give up enough for what the Giants would want for him. Um, but I'm, I'm taking him the third round all day in redraft. He, he's RB11 in the Dynasty ADP, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay buying him there. I, I don't think he's like a screaming value to you. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to be a screaming value there, but I I definitely like him ahead of some of the guys who are ahead of him in our rankings, for example. I mean, Derrick Henry is ahead of Barkley in the startup ADP. I'd rather have Saquon Barkley. I just, I mean, I know Henry's been healthier recently, but I mean, he's 28 years old now. He has a lot more career touches, you know, on his tires at this point. Um, so I'd, I'd rather gamble on Barkley, who's, who's like three years younger right now. Yeah, I mean, I might even be willing to give a 2022 rookie pick, like, you know, obviously depending on where it is, but maybe no matter where it is for Barkley, because I think his upside might be higher than anybody who's in this incoming class. It is. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're just giving up, you know, the longevity for, you know, the higher upside in Barkley. Uh, Leonard Fournette we have down. I think we kind of already covered him in the James Conner section though, right? Yeah. He's rich man's James Conner. Like you're going to get RB1 production this year. You're probably not getting a whole lot long-term, but I mean, if you're in win now mode, uh, Fournette's definitely someone I'd, I'd be looking to acquire right now. Yeah, and you're probably not finding somebody who's breathlessly um, chasing after him if you're looking to sell. Michael Carter's last running back I want to talk about, and uh, it's just because I, I wonder if this is a sell window right now. It's at least a, a point where I would be willing to sell because I'm not sure we can reasonably expect Michael Carter to be more than Chase Edmonds in the league. And, you know, I don't say that to denigrate him because that would be a, a positive career for Michael Carter, if he is Chase Edmonds, obviously based on the production and the money to this point, but I think it's a replaceable fantasy asset. So I think right now could be a good time to look into selling because I think there's a solid chance that the Jets add a running back and it could even be like an early day two type. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Now, I mean, now, now so far, Michael Carter has escaped free agency without you know any significant competition. The Jets brought back Tevin Coleman, and that that's been all they've done in the backfield. We'll have to see what the draft brings. I mean, what what I keep going back to with Carter and what makes me hesitant to really like go all in on him is is just the fact that he was a fourth round pick. Like in fourth round picks, historically, you know, the team is just not super committed to them. Now, I I thought Carter was better than a fourth round pick as a prospect, and I thought what he did last year as a rookie was you know better than what you get from most fourth round picks but um you know I get yeah as you said I would I would not be surprised if the Jets make a you know pretty significant addition in the draft next month yeah and it's certainly worth mentioning that it was a limited sample over which he did that stuff and did get hurt as a smaller back in his first season yep okay on to wide receivers and we'll start with risers who you got in that section Jared 
so I got some obvious ones. I mean, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, obviously getting Russell Wilson, you know, just a massive, massive quarterback upgrade. To me, C.D. Lamb is pretty obvious. Like when he was drafted by Dallas, the concern was the, tar- the target competition. But now Amari Cooper is out of the way. Michael Gallup is, you know, iffy for the start of the season with his ACL tear. So, you know, like Lamb has a chance now to just gobble up targets. Three other guys I have here, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, he couldn't have landed in a better spot. Not only does he land on the Chiefs, but he lands on the Chiefs without Tyree Kill. So, like, you know, I still have questions about Juju. I think he's, he's you know, someone worth debating. But just, you know, from a landing spot, I think, you know, it, it turned out about as well as possible for him. Mike Williams is a riser to me. Um, just, you know, being tied to Justin Herbert for three more years. He got the three-year, $60 million deal. And beyond that, you know, Keenan Allen turns 30 next month. And Mike Williams was better than him in yards per out run last season. Mike Williams was better in PFF receiving grades. So I just think there's a chance Williams – um, even this year kind of emerges as Justin Herbert's uh, number one wide receiver. And the last guy for me is a riser, Gabriel Davis, who has, he dodged for agency. Emmanuel Sanders still not re-signed by Buffalo. Don't think he's going to be. Cole Beasley gone. They did, you know, sign his replacement in Jamison Crowder. But as things stand now, like Davis is the outside starter opposite Stephon Diggs. We still have the NFL draft to get through. The Bills have a later first round pick. You know, you've seen some wide receivers mocked there to them. That'd obviously be bad news for Gabriel Davis, but he's he's like 75% of the way there to, you know, being a starter for the Bills this coming season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's still probably overrated perception-wise versus reality. And if I had him, I would still be curious to see what the market price is. That said, if you have him uh, and you like him, then he is well worth holding on to at this point because the outlook is potentially very good. So we'll see where, where Gabe Davis goes. I, I've got the other part of that Kansas City situation as the bigger riser, and not because I think Marquez Valdez-Scantling is more valuable than Juju at this point, but versus their relative dynasty perceptions coming into this offseason, I think there's a bigger leap for MVS. I would like Juju better if he had gotten the kind of contract that Kansas city gave to MBS. And I know that the, all the numbers on both of these are fake I and mean, we, there are a, a wide range of actual um, real life values to them. But what we do have in the Valdez Scantling contract is that it is three years. So if he does make it through what is effectively a one year prove it deal, the team already has that second year built in to keep him for, and then a third year, if he's really, um, if he really performs well for them. So we might have three years of MBS in Kansas city, with Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, who knows exactly what else he was offered on the open market, but this is the second straight offseason where he could not do better than a one-year deal. So I remain wary of him. I'm not going to buy him versus uh, where he is market-wise, but I'm at least open to the possibility that he rebounds, is a valuable performer going forward. I My bet would be that he just kind of settles into being an okay fantasy receiver from this point forward. I mean, Juju obviously has been a massive disappointment for three years now. So it's not just like it was one year, not even just two years. It's been three years where he's been disappointing. Um, But I I still go back to those first two seasons. I mean, he has the 11th most receiving yards through two NFL seasons in NFL history. So it was it was a historic first two seasons of his career. So, you know, maybe that's still in there again. I think if it is like it's going to we're going to see it in Kansas city without Tyree kill with Mahomes, It's just a perfect spot for him. Um, I'll be curious to see where MVS lands when we get some like, you know, April dynasty startup ADP because he's still a wide receiver 75 for Marsh, but you know, 
the majority or maybe all of those drafts happened before we learned that MBS would be in Kansas City. But I mean, we, you know, we've we've already heard that Kansas City is you know in the market for a big name wide receiver via trade. Um, you know, they have a couple first round picks now, so I think there's a good chance to add someone there. So I, you know, I I just think this Kansas City wide receiver room is not finished yet. And I do, I just think MVS is never going to be a lead target. I just think, you know, it kind of is what he is. He's, he was like a 12 to 15% target share guy in Green Bay. I do think he can top that in Kansas City, you know, without a Devontae Adams there. But I just don't think you're going to get, you know, even 20% target share out of him. Um, I just think, you know, he's kind of going to be that secondary piece, which is valuable when it's, you know, with Patrick Mahomes. So again, I'm definitely buying if he's, you know, anywhere near wide receiver 75 in dynasty ADP. I've even, you know, seen, he, he's still going too late, I think in some of these redrafts, um, at least he was immediately after he signed with Kansas City. I'm not sure where he's settling in at this point, but I'm, I'm buying just uh, not viewing him as like a, you know, difference maker, you know, a, a, a league winner in fantasy. I think if you're expecting that you're expecting too much out of MVS. I agree with that. I don't think either of these guys is going to be a league winner. So I'll, I'll wait around and take the one that I can take, you know, wide receiver 50 and still be ahead of market. If I'm yep. doing a startup or a redraft, um, as opposed to Juju where he's going. But curious to see how this all settles out and who else lands here. We've talked about the Broncos situation. I just want to kind of emphasize that I think all of the Broncos receivers are risers with Russell Wilson arriving. I don't think you have to pick a favorite. And frankly, I'm not ready to tie myself to any single Broncos wideout as the favorite here. I don't know that I'm going to go buy either of the top two guys versus where they are market-wise right now, but if you have, if I have Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton, I'm excited about Russell Wilson arriving. We've seen what he's done for Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf together and other wide receivers before that. We talked about his efficiency. He's just one of the most efficient quarterbacks ever. So it's a it's obviously an upgrade for all the receivers. Judy's now inside our top 20. Cortland Sutton is right around 30. I think it's also great for Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler they're a little bit sneakier and you might think, well, we can only have so many targets to go around. That's where dynasty comes in. It's okay. If KJ Hamler doesn't do anything in 2022, which I'm not betting that he does, but at some point they're not going to be able to pay all of these guys. And even if KJ Hamler moves on somewhere else, there's still, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if that's the negative case scenario for Hamler. So I think all of these guys get a boost. They all got more interesting when Russell Wilson arrived. Yeah, Patrick's the guy I actually wanted to talk about. I actually had him down here anyways. Um, he Patrick finished ahead of Judy and Sutton in PFF receiving grade last season, and he beat Cortland Sutton in yards per route run. And remember, De- Denver gave him an extension past November, three years, $34 million. So that, that's solid money. He's going to be the third receiver. Like I think Judy and Sutton are better than Patrick. I think they're going to play ahead of him. I think they're going to see more targets. But, you know, th- the number three receiver – you know, Russell Wilson led offense is, is a lot more exciting than, you know, it was with, you know, Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, whatever else Denver is throwing out there previous couple of years. So I think, you know, Patrick has an end of bench stash and dynasty. He's probably still relatively cheap to acquire. Uh, I think he's someone worth looking into over these next couple of months. And that third wide receiver spot is especially more attractive with Noah Fant gone and without exactly. the coaching staff that, you know, had a Melvin Gordon slash <laughs> Javante Williams led offense running the ball a lot. So yeah, I agree. Exactly. There's probably more targets available. And I mean, we haven't gotten to tight ends yet, but Albert Oakwake Boonham, obviously it probably got the biggest boost relative to the starting point out of all of these guys, because Noah Fant's gone and Russell Wilson's here. So any piece that you have in the Denver passing game looks much better now than it did not so long ago. For sure. On the faller side is the other side of the Russell Wilson trade. Tyler Lockett is the one 
that bothers me a lot. He's perennially <laughs> been the guy that I look at in our postseason dynasty rankings when we go to make, <laughs> you know, like our big refresh. And I always say Tyler Lockett's too low. You guys got to move him up. It's t- a lot tougher to make that case now. I think the only way to like Tyler Lockett at the moment is to bet on a trade and how many places could he really go that would mm-hmm. be comparable to playing with Russell Wilson. So he still doesn't turn 30 until September. So I, you know, I'm not totally out on him. I'm not selling him for anything I can get, but his contract does look tough to move. I'm no contract expert. So if you look at the stuff on spot track, it looks like it might be tough to actually find a trade partner for him. So he's probably stuck in Seattle. You know, we'll see who the quarterback is. I think it gets better if Baker Mayfield signs with Seattle. Maybe there are some other upgrades there over Drew Locke. But in general, I'm not as rosy on Tyler Lockett at this point in the year as I usually am. And I'm far more concerned about the impact on him than I am for DK Metcalf, who hasn't even turned 25 yet. Yeah, I mean, Lockett's a really good player, but he was definitely elevated by Russell Wilson, just, you know, Russell Wilson's quality and just the, the fit. You know, they just had such a good rapport. Um, so it definitely hurts. As you mentioned, his age too. Uh, Lockett entering year eight, which if you look at our aging curves, that's kind of where you start to get into the danger zone for wide receivers. That's kind of where you first start to see a notable decline. So, yeah, again, he's a, probably a tough guy to sell at this point with the, the Wilson news. But, um, you know, again, if, if you're a rebuilding team, it might even be worth selling a bit low on Locker right now just to get out from under him because I, I do think he's going to take a big hit without Russ. Any other fallers you have? <laughs> I had Jalen Waddle, you know, again, just going back to the Tyreek Hill trade, I just think when someone of Hill's caliber comes along, and listen, I think, you know, Waddle was a nice-looking prospect. He had a really nice rookie year, but his fantasy production, for the most part, came from the volume. He saw 140 targets. That was 10th most among wide receivers. I, he's just not going to get that type of volume for as long as Tyreek Hill is there. Plus the fact that, again, I think, you know, Miami probably goes a bit run heavier with Mike McDaniel there than they were last season. So I just think Waddle's volume takes a hit and, you know, volume is so important in fantasy long-term. He's still going to be okay because, you know, Tyree kill is not going to be there forever, but, you know, short-term matters more than long-term to me in dynasty. And I think, you know, again, Waddle took a hit there, man, if they go run heavier after paying for Tyree kill and only having chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert in the backfield, I think that would go against Mike, Mike McDaniel being a smart coach. They're not going to be like, Kyle Shanahan, 49ers level run heavy. Um, again, I, you know, I I don't think they're going to be in, in the top five in, in pass rate this coming season. May, again, we don't know anything about McDaniel. I'm basing that just a lot on, you know, the, the Kyle Shanahan tree he comes from. I, I, I had him like kind of middle of the pack in, in pass rate. That might be a bit low. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think there's going to be enough volume to go around to support Waddle as, you know, like a top 15 wide receiver this season or really, you know, as long as Tyree kills there. Yeah, I, I'm certainly with that, but I would probably lean toward them being somewhere in the top third in terms of, of passing lean. Michael Thomas is the other faller I want to mention, and not really necessarily because he's falling right now, but he just hasn't ever rebounded after his fall the past two years. He's wide receiver 43 on Keep Trade Cut, which if you're not familiar, it's the site that asks you to rate guys uh, Keep Trade Cut, which basically ranks three players that pop up when you look at them. And then it kind of puts all that together into these rankings. So he's wide receiver 43 by that measure. If you look on the Fantasy Pros expert consensus, he's wide receiver 30, which is close to where we have him. But that ranges from somebody who has him at wide receiver 24 to somebody who has him at wide receiver 42. So I think there's going to be a wide range of valuations on Michael Thomas. And I think anywhere that it's at or below where we have him, and that's low wide receiver three range, I'm much more likely to buy at the very least holding than I am selling because the downside for him is that 
he comes back and his playing is actually giving us something which he did in the past two years and it's just disappointing versus what we got before he can do that and be a wide receiver three without a problem because he's still going to be the dominant number one target in new Orleans. You can say we haven't seen him play without Drew Brees enough yet to know what that looks like. That's certainly true. We also haven't seen him play without Drew Brees to know that he won't be a wide receiver one with another quarterback. Yeah. And it's going to be Jameis Winston as the starter, as long as he's healthy over the next two years in new Orleans. The last time Jameis Winston was a starter, it was in Tampa in 2019 Chris Godwin finished second. Mike Evans finished fourth in PPR points per game. So we know that at peak, at least, Jameis Winston is capable of supporting some fantasy production wide receiver. Michael Thomas certainly getting up there. He's 29. He's had five seasons of action. Last year was his sixth season, so didn't play that year. You talk to Jared about the peak, and it's right around that fifth season for the wide receivers. So, you know, he's going to be on the downside at this point, but I think that there's still the chance that we steal one more wide receiver one season, one or two wide receiver two seasons from Michael Thomas. I'm much more willing to pay and take a shot on that upside than to be scared off of him by what the downside is. Yeah, to me, I mean, if you're a contending team and you're getting Thomas around like, you know, wide receiver 40 cost, that's where I'd be willing to go in on him. Otherwise, he's probably just kind of a a shy away. There's just so much unknown with him. And you, you mentioned it all, the significant injury quarterback who he's never played before Sean Payton gone from New Orleans for you know the first time in like 15 years so that offense in general is just tough to project it's tough to project Michael Thomas for for 22 22 obviously and that makes him tough to project long term so he, he's a guy again I'd be willing to buy low on if I'm contending and like you said you hope to get you know one or two more top 20 fantasy seasons out of him yeah and I'd be more worried about the Sean Payton factor if he was like wide receiver 18 but if, if we're talking bottom of wide receiver three and into the forties, it's like, I don't yeah. care who the coach is. He's going to get thrown to. No, that's right. I, I, like, I just, I would not be shocked if the saints are like a bottom 10 offense this season with you know, all the, all the changes happening there. Any other value targets for you at wide receiver? No other value targets for me. I'm going to go ahead and mention Brandon cook. So I think should just be mentioned in this section Always. perennially at this point, I, he just looks like a perennial buy because nobody's excited about Brandon Cooks, wide receiver 37 in Fantasy Pros Dynasty consensus right now, and none of the 42 rankers in that system right now has him higher than 31st. So that's the peak value is wide receiver 31 right now. Well, last season he finished wide receiver 21 in PPR points on a career low in yards per target and in probably about as bad a situation as he could have been. Tyrod Taylor was the season opening starter. Davis Mills was the ceiling option at quarterback there. I mean, Mills played better than we could have expected, but that's still not the ceiling of what his quarterback is this year, probably not even the floor. So the other part of this, the unknown with Brandon Cooks, is that if he's traded and his contract does look tradable, he turns 29 in September, he's in the final year of his deal. So it's not at all crazy to imagine the possibility of him getting traded Imagine if Brandon Cooks is traded to Kansas City next That's week. what I was thinking. And you're like, oh, my God, I could have had Brandon <laughs> Cooks as a wide receiver three, and now he's like 15th in the rankings. I, I messed up. So, I mean, I'm not saying bet on that, but the worst case is that he's the number one receiver in Houston, which worked out for him fantasy-wise last year, and he's not even quite 29 yet. So I'm not worried too much about any steep decline for him just yet. 
I mean, he just, he just goes for a thousand yards no matter where he is. He's been on what, like four different teams. Now he goes for a thousand yards for all of them. I'm um, just a really good player. Like you said, always seems to be underrated. I mean, j- just to talk, I mean, we have cooks at wide receiver 16 for 2022 right now. And you know, again, like you said, that's on Houston, which is like kind of, kind of the, the worst spot he could be on. If he gets traded, you know, most places he, he might even climb the rankings again, you know, not, not a, a long-term guy because he is 29 years old, but you know, for contending teams, like I, I would rather have Brandon Cooks than, than Michael Thomas if you're you know, looking for a trade target for a contending dynasty team right now. And we like to talk about long-term, but I mean, is Brandon Cooks not going to last the next three years? I'd say there's a, a solid, oh, yeah. it's a good chance that he's around for three more years. And then, you know, what is long-term beyond that? I mean, you have three more years to build your team around him. So sure, if that's all you're depending on, you know, five years down the road, then that's a mistake. But, you know, there's plenty of time to do other things and also incorporate aging receivers. For sure. I have Devontae Adams down as a discussion. I'm not sure how much there is to say about him at this point, though. It's not a huge downgrade. What do you have on Devontae Adams? I'm in. I mean, he's another older guy, so he's not like someone you're going to get, you know, 10 more years out of. But, um, you know, I think you can get another three, four quality seasons out of him. I think, you know, the efficiency is very likely going to decline when you go from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr. But I still think he's going to be, you know, among the top five receivers in targets this season. You know, the the he saw massive target shares in Green Bay. That's probably going to come down in Vegas when you have Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller there. But Green Bay was also a super slow and low play volume offense for the past three seasons under LaFleur. I think, you know, that that's probably going to climb not in Vegas now with Josh McDaniels there. You know, Bill Belichick, McDaniels from that tree, tends to run faster paced offenses, at least when he has a quality quarterback, which I think, you know, they have there in car. So, you know, we, we don't have Adams for, you know, that fewer targets in Vegas as we did in green Bay. So he's still to me, a top five receiver for this season. And he's still a top 10 dynasty receiver. And I think in, in a lot of cases, uh, the owner in your league might be willing to, to sell him for cheaper than that. Yeah. I think there's a slight knock in the move from green Bay to um, Vegas because of the extra target challengers. But you know, for all the factors you mentioned, we shouldn't overrate that probably not going to be a 28 to 30% target share, but he should still be around 25% uh, and could be upgrading the offense. Darren Waller is 30 uh, coming off an injury-plagued year and has no guaranteed money on the final year of his contract, which is next season, 2023. So I'd say that it's not likely that Darren Waller is around for a lot longer, and we'll see what he's got this year and next. Derek Carr is certainly not likely to be as efficient as Aaron Rodgers, who has been historically efficient, but Derek Carr has not dipped below 67% completions since 2017, completed 68.7% of his passes over the past four years, a pretty good 7.8 yards per pass attempt over the past three, despite iffy wide receivers in that span. You know, touchdowns are probably coming down, but if we're getting similar targets for Devontae Adams, I think we'll get a similar catch rate. We should get similar yardage. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that Devontae Adams should be fine where he is. It seems like pub- public perception doesn't have him much below where he was with Green Bay. And I'm sure you've heard, but Adams and Carr played together in college. So, you know, there is, there is some uh, chemistry there. Yeah, they're best friends, I've learned. So the last guy in the receiver section is Calvin Ridley. And obviously the real answer on what to do with Calvin Ridley is a shrug emoji. But we have to make a decision. I think in most cases, you probably have to just hold Calvin Ridley. I, I The bigger question, I guess, Jared, is how much would it take for you to sell him if you do have him? Obviously not as much right now as it would have, you know, a year or even six months ago. 
Yeah, probably not a whole lot, honestly. And I, I don't have any Calvin Ridley in Dynasty because I, you know, I was I was not a fan of him coming into the league. That That's obviously proven to be wrong. I mean, at this point, so he's going to theoretically return in 2023. He still needs to be reinstated. I assume that's going to happen for 2023. But you know, at that point, he's going to have only played five games over the previous two seasons. Remember, he missed almost all of this past season and he'll already be 28 years old when he returns next season. So, you know, he's not even going to be a young wide receiver anymore at that point. So, I mean, there's just too many, too much downside to Ridley for me to really even consider going out and buying him right now. I mean, as far as selling him, like if, if I can get anything that I think is going to, you know, help my team this coming season for the next few seasons, I'd, I'd be willing to, you know, consider moving Ridley for that piece. I offered Adam Krautwurst, our pal, a third round pick in the upcoming rookie draft for Ridley. Do you think you would have sold? Yeah. No, I'd probably sell him for a, for a second, though. You know, definitely like an early second rounder. I'd, I'd sell Ridley for that right now. What about two thirds? See, to me, and I, I, I'm sure there's data that either refutes or supports this. But once you get into the third round of dynasty drafts, those are just like total lottery tickets. They're you know often going to do nothing for your fantasy team. So you, know, you could give me four thirds. You know, I'd, I'd probably rather have an early second than like four thirds. Yeah, and that's exactly why I was <laughs> offering stuff in that range, because I think especially in the FFPC format, uh, Ridley loses value because you have smaller rosters than you do in a lot of other dynasty formats. Yep. We're cutting down to 16 by tomorrow is the deadline. The end of March 31st, you have to get your dynasty rosters down to 16 on myffpc.com. And then even the regular season is just 20 roster spots with two IR slots. So in that format, I'm just not willing to give up a whole lot to get Calvin Ridley. Here's where keep trade cut had him valued. And this is a, a one quarterback format. Uh, half PPR scoring, I believe, was the setting. So he is valued behind David Bell, behind Sky Moore, among other rookies. Those obviously aren't the top two rookie wide receivers in this group. Behind an early second round pick in 2024 and behind a mid second round pick in 2022. I feel like in each of those four specific cases, I would rather have Calvin Ridley. Yeah, again, for, like, if we're talking rookie picks, it's like a early to mid second is kind of where it would kind of be the tipping point for me for Ridley. Um, and, and, you know, full disclosure, I'm not even like done, you know, kind of studying this draft class yet, but just from what I've kind of seen so far, that's kind of the, the level of pick I, I would want for Kevin Ridley. And of course it depends like where your team is, you know, whether you're competing or not kind of, you know, what you should be doing with Ridley. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a level that's fair. If somebody said, Hey, I traded Calvin Ridley for a second round pick in the upcoming rookie draft. What do you think? I'd be like, that's fine. We have no idea what to expect from him going yep. forward. And, you know, there's a chance that that guy is good. Yep. That guy being what you would get for that second round pick, of course. We had one trade question come through. I asked for some and, you know, didn't get enough responses. But we should address the one that we did get from Jacob Blackburn. Traded Josh Palmer for Ronald Jones in a 14-team PPR Superflex Dynasty League. So wants to know which side got the better of yep. that. Giving up Josh Palmer, getting back Ronald Jones. Yeah, I mean, I think both guys are like long shots to be, you know, weekly reliable fantasy starters. I'd probably rather take a shot on Palmer, though, just a guy who we, we haven't really seen fail as much as we've seen Ronald Jones fail. So if I'll, Palmer, I didn't love Palmer coming out last year, but he actually had a you know, pretty solid rookie season, you know, when he got opportunities. And he's just, he's, he's a wide receiver tied to Justin Herbert. Again, I mentioned Keenan Allen, who's, you know, 30 years old. I don't have his contract, I don't know how long he's locked in with the chargers for, I mean, there, you know, there's a chance Palmer's like the, you know, longer term replacement for Keenan Allen, maybe as the number two wide receiver for Justin Herbert. So I, I would lean Palmer over Rojo. 
I think that's a good example of a trade that makes sense for both sides. Cause I don't know the specifics of either side of that, but I would assume that one side needed some running back help and the other side didn't need Ronald Jones and was willing to take a shot on an upside young receiver. So I think it's a fair deal because I think Ronald Jones is more likely to be valuable in 2022. And he's still young enough that there's a chance he does some stuff beyond that and is helpful. And we're talking about a 14 team league. So, you know, we need an even deeper pool of players than you do for the typical league. So I think Ronald Jones is the better bet for 2022 production. I think long-term Josh Palmer has more upside, but I'm also not betting big on Josh Palmer and I'm not scared to give him up to get something to help my team. Agreed. All right. So let's wrap things up with tight end. I think we kind of have to start by talking about Travis Kelsey. Like we'll skip over Kyle Pitts because he's number one for everybody at this point, because he's young, because he got a bunch of targets last year and because he was fine, even though he didn't score any touchdowns in a terrible offense. So we'll start with Travis Kelsey who had been the number one longer than anybody should reasonably be so at tight end. And I wonder, Jared, if you might have one final sell window on Travis Kelsey right now to a win now team, at least. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Tyree kill trade, you know, should it did, it did for me, it, you know, boosted Kelsey's short-term value. And I know people are going to you know say, you know, he's going to see more bracket coverage now, blah, blah, blah. Like, he, he's going to get more targets with Tyree kill out of the way. And that's kind of, that's all I care about. Um, and Kelsey's target shares had actually been um, sinking uh, just 21% last season. That was well below where he was the previous three seasons. But I think, yeah, again, I think he's going to get back back up to 23, 24, 25% this season. So, I mean, with Kelsey, it's just, you know, how how long is he going to do it for you? He's 33 years old now. Um, or sorry, he turns 33 in October, you know, so he's well past the peak age for tight end. He's at a point now where, like, it won't be surprising if we see his play just, you know, drop off significantly at any time now for win now teams. Like I still think, you know, Kelsey is a good bat, you know, again, with the target share with Mahomes to, you know, give you elite production for this season. So he, he's a guy, if you're a win now team, I, I I'd be looking to go out and acquire if you don't have a top five tight end. Yeah. And I would take a shot on selling Travis Kelsey. Now not selling him for whatever you can get, because I do think that it's okay to just have a guy until he retires. You know, yeah, obviously the best case scenario is to get lots of value then trade a player before he falls off a cliff for something of good value. But it's okay to just have a guy who is valuable until the end of his career be on your team. So Mm. that said, I do think that there is potential for a sell window on Kelsey. Now he's a top 50 overall asset on that keep trade cut list that I've mentioned before. He is tight end three in the fantasy pros dynasty consensus. At least some folks on there have him in as the number two tight end, even for dynasty purposes. You know, Jared mentioned he turns 33 in October. He is signed through 2025, but if you look further into his contract, the dead cap numbers are reduced and declining beyond this coming season. The cap hits are ballooning, so we could see as soon as next year, Travis Kelsey just not make sense contractually for the Chiefs, and we've seen the Chiefs with the Tyreek Hill move, you know, kind of come to grips with their own mortality in terms of players that they can keep, so... I, I would look into tra- to trading Kelsey right now. Again, not selling too low because he can still produce for you. Yep, agreed. George Kittle is the next tight end. And I think that there's some overreaction here, but I also think it depends on where you're looking for the reaction. So it, it first popped up for me, Jared, when I saw his ranking in our system. You know, we talked about the new format for our dynasty rankings and George Kittle came out a lot lower than I expected him to. So I wonder if it was an effect of the cautious 2022 projection for him. So instead of 
instead of calling out where he was ranked, I want to <laughs> ask you where you think George Kittle belongs among dynasty tight ends right now. Yeah. So a lot of where he landed in our dynasty rankings is because we do have him lower than consensus for 22 for 2022. The other part of it is that Kittle's now entering year six and our data shows that year four and five is the peak years for tight end. So he is now on the decline of the tight end aging curve beyond that. So Kittle's target share has now shrunk in the last three seasons. He was 27% in 2019, 23% in 2020. 21 and a half percent last year. And that's only including his, his healthy games, by the way, I, I omitted all the games that he missed or left injured. I'm not sure that's going to rebound when you have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk there in San Francisco now. And I think there's, you know, further past volume concerns in San Francisco, if we're assuming Trey Lance is going to take over. So Kittle to me is kind of like, I think he's a bit overvalued for 2022. And then I think, you know, he, again, he is past peak age for, dynasty so i think you know we've kind of already gotten the best we're going to get uh george kittle so i don't know he, he's a guy i'd consider selling because you know he's kind of not at that point where kelsey is where people are like worried about you know his age and the, the decline coming i think now could be like peak time to sell george kittle so what number do you think he belongs ranking wise among dynasty tight ends right where we have him tight end seven. Oh, see i don't <laughs> agree with that at all I, I don't think he needs to rebound target share wise to be good. I mean, 20 plus percent is a strong number at tight end. It's like top four number perennially at the position. So mm-hmm. I, I would keep him up there with that. I think if we're assuming that Trey Lance is good enough to, you know, keep the offense moving and keep the job, we should probably bet on one of his primary receiving options. So I think there's room for the, the touchdowns to improve the yardage to at least stay there with George Kittle I mean, for me, he's not old enough yet that I'm worried about him. And the other part of that is there's just so little to like at tight end that even if it's just two good seasons from George Kittle and then he falls off, I mean, am I trading that away to get whatever Mike Gusecki has ahead of him or even Pat Fryermuth? Like, I don't think that the ceiling for Pat Fryermuth at any point matches what George Kittle's ceiling is over the next two years. No, yeah, I mean, definitely like Kittle over. So I guess so the I guess the three guys we have ahead of Kittle that you I guess you disagree with and might be controversial. The, the first we have at number six is Darren Waller, who is you know similar age to George Kittle. My projections had Waller coming in quite a bit ahead of Kittle as far as twenty twenty two. So that's kind of why the edge went there. And then it's T.J. Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard, who are just you know, you know four or five years younger than George Kittle. I think you know their fantasy value this season is not too far off from Kittle. I think I, I actually have. Uh, Goddard projected ahead of Kittle this season. So that, again, you know, that's kind of when you throw that into our new algorithm here, that's, that's why Kittle came out where he did. I have to look up Dallas Goddard's age now because I wasn't, are, are he and he's, George Kittle that 20, far apart? He's 27. And what we said, Kittle's 29. So two years apart. Yeah, to me, 27 to 29 is not a big issue. And I think that yeah. they're similar in terms of their situations with, I don't know if we are looking at, draft capital spent on Trey Lance versus Jalen Hurts, then the Kittle situation seems more predictable. And we also have a better record of production there. Again, I think this largely comes back to just where I have Kittle projected for this season, which, you know, we haven't really argued out yet. We'll probably do that after the NFL draft. My my last note about Kittle, and I'm sure it's like this 
with a lot of tight ends, but it seems more pronounced with him is he is just so volatile from week to week. And uh, it's been talked about largely because that's, he's such a good blocker that he, he doesn't have as high of a route rate as a lot of these other elite tight ends. He, to me, it seems like, and again, I'd have to actually go look at the numbers, but it seems like he has more duds than a lot of these other high end tight ends do. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking into the the high-end scoring coming up here. And we've got lots of best ball season left. So it feels like it's been going for a while, but we've got lots of, yeah. of drafting time left to look into this stuff. Any other risers or fallers or value targets from tight end that you want to throw out before we finish up? I have a few names here. It's been it's been an interesting offseason at tight end, um, just with a lot of moves that have been made. But I mean, the, the one guy for me that I'm super excited about is David Njoku. Um, who I, I've just, you know, I, I've been honest, I've been waiting for him to kind of, but I mean, he, he had a good second season. Um, it was a while ago now, 2018, but he, he went for 640 yards and four touchdowns in his second season. But he, you know, he was a really good looking prospect coming out. It was a first round pick elite athleticism has just sort of been buried behind some other guys in Cleveland lately, but you know, now got the franchise tag. So, you know, he's making a good bit of money for this season, at least, you know, Cleveland's obviously not committed long-term, but he's making a lot of money this season, Austin Hooper's gone, gets the big quarterback upgrade with Deshaun Watson. So um, I, I don't know, maybe we missed the buy window on Njoku, uh, but he, he's someone I'm super excited about for this season and longer term because he's still still a young guy. Yeah, after that second season, we were all like, all right, here goes the full Njoku breakout. And then Browns were like, all right, here comes Austin Hooper for a lot <laughs> yeah. of money. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense, guys. So yeah, he's finally out of the way. He's one that I have down as well. I have Njoku, I have Evan Ingram, and I have OG Howard. And I think you know, you mentioned all the positives with Njoku. The biggest reason that I like all of these guys is that you don't have to pay a lot to acquire them right now. So there's really only upside, I think, from where they start. And that's the yeah. key because I look down the tight end rankings and I don't see a lot of guys with upside versus where they're currently standing. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take a shot on guys like Njoku, who's who turns 26 in July, as you mentioned. Uh, Evan Ingram turns 28 in September, so he's not old yet. His tight end production, you know, you mentioned the tight end production falls off more slowly than wide receivers. So, you know, we have those aging curves that we go by and everybody starts declining, but the decline is not quite so steep at tight end as it is at wide receivers. So we can reasonably expect more from Evan Ingram than we might a receiver at a similar age. I don't think that that guy has been able to combine health with real coaching since 2017 is rookie year. So I don't think we really know what Evan Ingram can do and we might never see anything, but now that he's way at the bottom of tight end two territory, mm-hmm. there's really no downside to taking a shot, especially now that he's uh, with a team that's at least willing to pay him $10 million for a year. OJ Howard is the last guy and his outlook is even, I guess, dimmer than Ingram's because he could only get a small one-year contract. He's had even more injury issues, lots more missed time recently. Uh, and his team let him walk this offseason, which is not a good sign, but still a talented player, was a first-round pick. He turns 28 in mid-November, so also not old. And I think landing in Buffalo, I'm not saying I'm betting on O.J. Howard to outperform Dawson Knox, but I think there's a non-zero chance that O.J. Howard is the top-scoring tight end for the Bills this season without either of those guys getting hurt. Yeah, I'm with you, and it's funny you mentioned that because I actually have Dawson Knox here as a guy who is kind of you know has has fallen in my rankings, and as someone I'd probably looking to be to be selling right now, coming off you know what was a pretty productive 2021 season. But I mean, I I'm still just not sure how committed the Bills are to him. And as you said, I mean Howard only got a one year 3.5 million dollar deal, so it's not like the the Bills signed him as like the you know clear Knox replacement. I still think Knox is probably the favorite to lead the teams 
tight ends and targets this season. But I mean, the, the, the selling point with Knox is just the offense he's in. But again, I'm not sure how long he's going to be in Buffalo. And he wasn't super efficient last season. He was 23rd in yards per route run among 35 qualifying tight ends, 21st among those 35 in PFF receiving grade. So it's not like he was that good. It's just, you know, he got decent volume in one of the league's best passing games. And as you've mentioned that there's a chance that goes away now, if Howard just, you know, proves to be better. Yeah. Similar season to Robert Tunyon a few years, a couple years ago in, in green Bay, any other tight ends you want to throw out? No, that's it. Uh, we've, we've been here long enough. I agree. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now, if you haven't already done so, to check out the fancy new Dynasty tools that DS Insiders have already been raving about. Rankings with one-year, three-year, five-year, ten-year expectations based on those aging curves that we've mentioned a few times. A draft war room that's ready to help you navigate your Dynasty drafts. Finally, what you've been waiting for. Plus, of course, our rookie content. Even if you haven't become a DS Insider yet and you're not able to access those rankings or the Draft War Room, you can read all of our Dynasty rookie scouting reports for free this year's class as well as those from years past. Jared, I believe that you posted David Bell today, didn't you? I did, yeah. And, you know, there's one of these every year, but he is the case of awesome college production, but, like, very scary measurables. Um, So it's kind of, you know, what, what do you weigh – more heavily. And I'm curious to see what the NFL thinks of him and, you know, what round of the draft he goes in. Yeah. So read all about him and lots of other guys will have basically a player a day up until the NFL draft. So plenty more coming, but plenty already available to read for Jared Smoll and the rest of the draft sharks crew. I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. <laughs>